So this morning's psalm, Psalm 77, is on page 471. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I remember the, del- the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It's a privilege and a joy to be able to uh, bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, My name's Bryn, if you don't know me. Um, And I guess as you noticed, as we were reading Psalm 77... Uh, it's quite a heavy psalm. There's, uh, there's some pretty serious things going on in this psalm. So we're going to be talking about and thinking about a couple of things uh, this morning. Uh, and the first is this, we're going to be thinking about suffering. We're going to be thinking about hardship and pain. And I guess in this psalm, connected to this as well, the second thing we're sort of looking at is it kind of how we respond to our struggles. So that's what's really fascinating about this psalm is that we kind of get an insight into the inner turmoil uh, of the psalmist. So how do we understand our situation? How do we reflect on what we're going through? Where does our mind wander in the face of suffering? You might be a raging optimist like myself. Uh, I'm constantly on the hunt for the silver lining in any situation. 
So if you don't know, my wife, Kate, and I, we're actually moving to Sydney in about a week. Uh, We're going to study a Bible college there. And let me tell you something about Sydney. The rent is terrible. So like when I used to live in a share house house in North Baldwin, now this was with multiple people splitting the rent, but I used to, what I used to pay per month, we're now going to be paying per week in Sydney. But of course, I've got to find the silver lining in all situations, right? So I say to Kate, well, at least when we move back to Melbourne, the rent will be cheap in comparison. How great is that? So you might be an optimist like me. Always got to find the silver lining. Or you might be a pessimist. Life has brought with it many disappointments, and so now you expect most things to be disappointing. Your upcoming holiday is probably not going to be as relaxing as it should be. Your favourite phrase is, I told you so. You start pointing out all the ways things can and probably will go wrong. Maybe you're a pessimist, maybe you're an optimist. And I guess we might ask, which is the biblical approach? Is there a biblical approach? Will one party finally be vindicated over the other and proven the ultimate perspective? Well, I think no. And I think whoever you are, or whatever you are, an optimist or a pessimist, I think our passage today is going to have things that challenge you. I think it's going to provide a different perspective. And I also pray and hope that Psalm 77 is going to be a great comfort for you as well. It's been a great comfort for myself. And it's also a really valuable passage for us uh, as we as a church have faced serious challenges in our recent history. So please keep your Bibles open to page 471, Psalm 77, as we dig in. So I guess as I've already mentioned and what you've probably noticed, what's clear right away is that the psalmist in our psalm, Asaph, he is struggling. He is in serious distress. Now Asaph, a little bit of information about him, he was one of the tabernacle musos, so to speak. He helped lead Israel in rejoicing and thanking and praising God in song. He was, from the, he was a Levite, so a descendant of the priestly tribe of Israel. Uh, and in the book of First Chronicles, we see he's kind of appointed as chief worship leader, so to speak. And get this, he was a percussionist. So verse 5 of chapter 16, Asaph was to sound the cymbals. So, you know, percussionists can be good people too. But as we can clearly see, he is struggling. The chief praise giver, the guy whose job is literally to lead Israel in singing and praising God every day, he is in serious distress. He's in serious pain. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. You can just hear the emotion in this. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. He is in great anguish. It's like a child in bed calling out to their parent, distraught. Now, we don't actually know what he's going through exactly, but what we do see is that nothing is bringing him comfort. We saw that in verse 2 already. I would not be comforted. And likewise, crying out to God isn't isn't alleviating his pain. So look with me at verse 3 and 4. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. 
You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. Now, I don't think this is saying that thinking about God brought him new uh, suffering and pain. But I think in remembering God, he is reminded that he is still struggling. He is still feeling the pain. He hasn't received comfort. He's restless and overwhelmed. And remembering the good times of old doesn't seem to help either. Verse 5 and 6, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. These once again only serve to add to his woes. Thinking back to better days only serve to remind him of the situation he's currently in. And so understandably from all this pain and torment, he cries out to God with questions. Look with me at verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? He's crying out to God. God, is this going to go on forever? Have you rejected me? Have you left me for dead? Have you forgotten me? Or changed your mind about me? Are you withholding your good from me? Are your promises failing? It's clear here our psalmist is in great distress and he's crying out to God to help him. As many of you know, I recently had the joy of going to NTE as part of my work with Christian Union. Um, And it's it's this big conference for Christian student groups up in Canberra, about 1,900 people. It was this wonderfully encouraging conference, as it always is. Uh, But at NTE, I chatted with a student Uh, who comes from the university I work with, Melbourne Uni. Uh, She'd taken the last semester off uh, study, so I hadn't seen her around, and I saw her at NTE and I thought, oh, how are you going? What have you been up to? And I actually found out why she had been away for the last semester. It's because her last 12 months had been terrible. She'd faced the death of a friend. She'd faced the death of a relative. She'd face separation and distance from friends and family. And she'd experience serious health issues, both physical and mental. It was just an extremely challenging year for her. Chatting to her, you could just hear uh, the pain and the anguish she felt throughout the year. And I'd love to stand here and tell you our conversation was one where she shared all the things she's learnt and grown and been encouraged by over the last 12 months. But that wasn't the situation. She was struggling. Restless, confused, and still hurting. She was still in the thick of it. I wonder if you can relate to this student. I wonder if you can relate to the words of this psalm. Given the challenges we face as a church, I'm sure you can. I'm sure the pain of farewelling brothers and sisters week after week uh, has taken its toll. I'm sure the pain of not knowing what's going to happen uh, is still with us and, and still hurting. The confusion and uncertainty of it all. Asking God, how can, how can you possibly be using this for good? What is going on? You know, we think about God during the week and are confronted with the reminder that our church is still very 
broken and dysfunctional. Or we remember our songs of old, maybe we reflect back on church weekend away and think of a growing, seemingly thriving church. Past joys just serving to discourage us further. So you might be in the position of Asaph, crying out to God, asking, will you reject forever? Has your favour toward us dried up? Are your promises failing? Has your face turned from us? If that is you, or if you're dealing with any number of different challenges, perhaps loneliness, illness, mental health, loss of a loved one, I think there is great comfort in this psalm for us all. But I think before Asaph gets to the comfort, I think there is a goodness and a rightness to how the psalmist voices his problems. I think the optimists among us might be feeling squeamish reading this psalm and hearing about his troubles. And the pessimists among us might be thinking, why hasn't he thrown in the towel already? But actually, our psalmist here, I think he's... He's not neither an optimist nor a pessimist here. I think he is a realist. He doesn't have to dress up or dress down his situation. He can admit it's painful. He's distressed. He can be real with himself and real with God. And we might be tempted to think that this displays a lack of trust in God, but I actually think it shows exactly the opposite. He's a realist that trusts God. Just scan back through those first Six verses. He cries out to God. He seeks God. He stretches out his hands to God untiringly. He remembers God. He trusts God enough to lay his heart out before him. And he has enough confidence in God to be honest. God, my spirit is finding no comfort. It is restless. In the midst of his struggles, Asaph is a realist who trusts in God. And I think it's an encouragement to, to be a realist that trusts in God like him. We don't just have to sweep our problems under the carpet and look on the bright side. And neither do we have to live in despair, wallow in our own self-pity. But we can keep reaching out to God, trusting in a good God. I know this is hard for me. Uh, I'm a bit of a fixer. So if Kate ever shares with me a, a problem of hers or a trouble, I instantly jump to what's the solution or perhaps what's the positive thing you can get out of this situation, which I'm sure she loves hearing. <laughs> but as a, as a church, we can be people that actually sit in the reality of pain with each other. We can share in that. We don't just have to say chin up. We don't just have to push each other to look on the bright side constantly. We can be real about our distress. And we can do that while entrusting ourselves to God. Like Asaph, a realist who trusts in God. And as we see too, as he keeps trusting in God, as he keeps looking to God, we see what Asaph remembers. Look with me at verse 10. It's this great aha moment. From the sadness of his situation comes this spark. Verse 10. Then I thought... It's like a divine light bulb moment. I know what I'll do. I'll remember God. And not just in some vague sense of God is there or God is loving. But he goes, I'll remember the things God has done before. Who he is and the works of his hands. 
Read with me from verse 10. He says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. So in this battle in his heart and in his mind, in this inner turmoil of Asaph that we have front row seats to in this psalm, we see this major shift. Asaph casts his mind towards God's mighty deeds. He draws comfort in his situation from remembering what God has done, things he has already done before. And this comforts him because it reminds him of the sort of God that God is. Reminds him of God's holiness and greatness. It reminds him of God's power and concern for his people. Look with me at verse 13 to 15. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So Asaph's thinking, my problems are big. My pain is real. My comfort is elusive, but my God is mighty, and he saves his people. And so in this, he casts his mind to one event in particular. Look at verse 16 to 20. I'm not sure if if you picked up what he's describing here, but he's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about God bringing his people through the Red Sea. Let me read from verse 16. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, through, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What an amazing scene. This is God in his power and glory, powerfully saving his people from slavery in Egypt. The waters and the heavens and the earth, all in the palm of God's hand. Nothing, not Pharaoh, not the sea, able to stop God from redeeming his people with his mighty arm. Nothing able to stop God from saving them. And so I think in the face of his struggles, in the face of big problems, Asaph remembers. He remembers who God is. He remembers what God has done. A uh, a good friend of mine and his wife are expecting a baby. Uh, It's their first child, and everything is very new and exciting for them, and it's been really great to see how he sort of equal parts thrilled uh, and terrified. It's really awesome to watch. Uh, not that long ago, he came back from his wife's ultrasound and when he walked into the group that I was with, he paused and he just said to the whole group, it's a boy, and everyone was loving it. But days later, uh, him and his wife were called back to the hospital. That same ultrasound had actually picked something up. After further tests and some nervous waits, they found out their baby boy's heart wasn't growing correctly. In a super rare case, 
His tiny heart was missing some of the parts it should normally have. And the odds aren't great. While the baby is fine while in the womb, it's about a 30% survival rate after birth, and that's given instant surgeries, months in the hospital. My friend put it like this. He said, it's like being told you're going to have a car crash in a month's time. But one small consolation he was telling me about is that they're at the Royal Children's Hospital and it has some of the best paediatric heart surgeons in the entire world. And they don't just say that for no reason. They do hundreds of heart surgeries a year. They have state-of-the-art equipment. They have possibly the highest training you can imagine. And so in the face of troubling odds and much pain for him and his wife, they know they're in good hands. They know they are in the best hands. When in distress, they can reflect upon the expertise and qualifications and greatness of the doctors that they have. And I think in some ways here, that's like Asaph crying out to God. How much more comfort can we draw knowing whose hands we are in, knowing who God is, knowing what he has done? The God who can control the sea and thunder and rain and winds because they're his. The God who holds the universe in his palm. The God who delivers his people from slavery. The God who saves. In the face of our suffering and pain, we can say, God, we are weak and we are hurting, but we are in your hands. And so I encourage you, like Asaph, meditate on God's mighty deeds. Meditate on all his works. As we've seen, this psalm is an insight into Asaph's mind. What he thinks about, what he remembers, meditates on and considers. And it's actually only by directing his thoughts to God's actions that he finds hope and comfort. And so I think it's good to think what it might look like to meditate on God's deeds. And I've got a few quick suggestions here. Firstly, is just get to know God's word. To meditate on God's deeds and promises, you need to know them. And God has lovingly given us his word. He has revealed himself to us. It is a treasure trove of goodness to see his deeds in his word. My second tip is get off your phone. We live horribly busy lives where we rarely ever have space to think, to meditate. We can go days and weeks without stopping and pausing and reflecting because we fill every gap with stimuli. Imagine this psalm would be very different if Asaph had an iPhone in his hand. I stretch out untiring hands in the night to open Facebook and numb myself by endless scrolling. Go for a walk. Sit somewhere and do something. Do nothing. Have a shower. Use that time to reflect, to chew on just one of God's works or one of his promises. Thank him for it. Praise him for it. Ask yourself what this shows you of his character. Ask yourself how knowing God's deeds and the works of his hand might give you perspective and assurance in your situation. And thirdly, I want to say, help each other to meditate. If you're anything like me, you're not good at remembering. You're good at forgetting. In the face of your problems, God's holiness and greatness are not what instantly springs to mind. 
If anything, those memories get blurred and distorted by your situation, by your experiences. And so we dearly need each other to lift our eyes, to remind us when we forget, to help fill our minds with God's great works. So in the face of hardship, don't just look to yourself, don't just look on the bright side or look for more problems and more problems. Look to God, look outside of yourself to the works of his hands, to his deeds and character. Look to the God who saves. And lastly, as mighty and spectacular as the Exodus story is, we can look back to something far, far greater. We can look back to the cross. There we see the Messiah, God's chosen king, come down and do the most incredible, unimaginable thing. The king of the universe, God himself, perfect in every way, dies in our place for our sin. Here we see God's holiness and greatness and power and love displayed. Jesus satisfies God's holy wrath, paying the penalty our sins deserve. And he leads us back to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. If Asaph finds comfort in God saving his people from slavery in Egypt, how much more can we find comfort in the God who saves his people from sin and death? The God who has done this in Christ already. And what I find even more comforting too is that even when we fail to heed the advice of this psalm, we can also see that Jesus lived it out perfectly. Though distressed and restless, he continued trusting God. Praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, in deep anguish, he cries out to God and prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So we can also take comfort in the fact that one of God's mighty works includes this, Jesus perfecting what we cannot. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, entrusts himself to his Father in the face of great distress and dies that we might have life. So, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, find comfort not in yourself. As I said, not just looking on the bright side or not feeling justified and vindicated in pessimism. In the face of pain and hardship, when things are tough, and they very well might be for you this day, look to God and his saving grace. Look to his unchanging works, the things he has already done. Look to Christ. Now, this doesn't just mean that because God sent Jesus to die for your sin, then of course he'll alleviate all your suffering in an instant. This doesn't mean everything's just instantly going to feel comfortable and great. It's interesting that the psalm kind of ends a bit abruptly. It doesn't end with Asaph saying, he lived happily ever after or something. I think there is implied comfort uh, in the reflections he has on God and his works. But he might still very well be in serious pain and distress. And that might be the case for us as well. But for those who trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, we already have the most important thing salvation in Christ. It means that we trust in a mighty God who loves us dearly and has already dealt with our biggest affliction, condemnation under sin. And so I encourage you, in the face of your hardship, look to God. 
You can be a realist in the face of your troubles, but you can be a hopeful one, one that looks to God and trusts in him. One that finds comfort not in your own strength, not in your own goodness or actions, but comfort in the God who acts, comfort in the God who saves. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we know, Lord, that uh, we are weak. We know, Father, that uh, we are hurting. Lord, we feel much pain. We feel much anguish about our church and each of us in our own individual lives have many challenges that we face. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to keep persisting in trusting you, in not just sweeping away our problems, but looking to you, seeking to you, reaching out to you. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to reflect on, to chew on, to savour and cherish all the mighty things that you have done for us. We thank you so much, Father, that you have sent your Son to die for us. We pray, Lord, in the midst of our struggles, help us to lift our eyes, help us encourage one another to lift our eyes on Christ and to find comfort and hope and security uh, in his sacrifice and his death. I pray this in his name. Amen.